When you are free, you live a life that sets other people free. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. Three words, hope, health, and healing. Amen by myself. Welcome to Midtown. Now, how, how's everyone feeling this morning? Everyone's feeling good? All right, well, if you weren't feeling good, maybe about now... Because we've gone into a mode of worship and the worship team has led us so well in this time of worship, you're feeling a little better than you were when you walked in, amen? Now, if you were here and if you remember, um, it, I think it might have been the last time that I preached here at the SAC campus, uh, we played a little game together. Do you remember this game that we played? It was a family game. We were in the series called My Dysfunctional Family. And so we played a game. I didn't have a name for the game, but, but the game was one where we put a picture up on the screen, and it was a, a picture of a sitcom family. And when you saw the picture, you were supposed to call out the name of the sitcom or the name of the family from that sitcom. And, and you guys really got into it. Like, I didn't have prizes for you or anything, but you got really into it. And you, you sat forward in your seats, and you were yelling out the names, and so... Today, I wanted to start in a similar way. I wanted to start us off with a game. Is that okay? Actually, I don't want to mislead you. We're actually not going to play the game. We're going to watch a clip of a game. Um, it's, it's, it's got something to do with our new series. Our new series is called Dealing with Everything, Answers to Life's Challenges. And I thought that to set us up, we'd watch a little clip of a well-known family show of a family that is well-known around here. Um, Just a hint, it's it's a show where you're supposed to put your heads together to come up with the best answers. And I think you'll recognize some of the people up here pretty quick. From Del Grove, California, it's the Pruitt family. Nikisha. Nikisha. All right, introduce everybody. All right, so I have my marvelous mother, Belita, my cutie pie of a cousin, Kimmy, my sister with swag, Gina, and my handsome husband, Gino. We both work together. Where? And, uh, we, she's an MC. I'm a DJ. I'm old school DJ. Okay. I play that kind of music you like. Frankie oh, Beverly. Yeah, my man. Earth, Wind, and Fire. You got me. Ozone, Tina Marie. All Yo, that. you got me. How you get hooked? Okay. Female elephant tails and male elephant. Keep your trunk off my what? Off my kids. Take your, keep your, keep your trunk off my kids. Name something a woman's holding when she says, come and get it. She might be holding her hair, Steve. Okay. Okay, her hair. Ah. All right, well, let's give it up for Nikisha and Gino. And um, just to be clear, we did ask for permission to show this clip, but we asked Nikisha. And Nikisha said, yes, you can show this clip on one condition. You don't tell Gino about it ahead of time. And so if you don't know, Gino actually runs our sound, and he's watching this clip for the very first time right now. So, so we're lucky that he didn't put it on mute. So thank you for being a good sport about it, Gino. But now, Nikisha and Gino, you know, they didn't win on Family Feud. And and though they are usually brilliant and quick-thinking people, and although they love the Lord, um, I I think they forgot to do something. 
They forgot to do something. And, and I'm going to show another clip here in just a second. And, and China Phillips, she's going to show us what might have, could have helped them if, uh, if they did this first before they went on the show. China, you need 16 points to win. Okay. I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can ask. Hold on. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit, no. Oh, activate. No. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 Ooh. All right, let's go. 11 years has never happened before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Besides being cold, name a reason you're shaking. You said fever. Survey said move. <laughs> Nikisha and Gino, you wanted the right answers, but you forgot to activate the Holy Spirit, right? So maybe if you get a chance to go back on this show, you can first activate the Holy Spirit, and then you can come back with that $25,000 and share it with your brothers and sisters here in Sacramento. You know, also, instead of that song that Pastor Ephraim sang last week before offering, what was that song? He gave the building, you give the funds. I mean, he made up this song on the spot. Instead of that song, maybe after, before we're offering next week, we should just do this whole Holy Spirit. Okay, so as I started saying that, some of you started looking for another church to attend next week. So I will assure you we're not going to do that. But... I mean, it's not a bad idea to remember to activate the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, the principle is there. It's kind of a funny clip, but let's remember to activate. All right. Like I said, we're dealing with a new series this week, and the series is called Dealing with Everything, Answers to Life's Challenges. And I'll be honest, when um, Pastor Ephraim suggested this as our new sermon series title, I had a pretty quick eyebrow raise to it. You know, dealing with everything. And then the subheading is answers to life's challenges. So first of all, you want us to deal with everything, and then you want us to give answers to everything. Now, on your end of things, you might hear, hear this title, and, and you might go, okay, well, the preacher is going to deal with everything today, apparently. The preacher is going to give all the answers to everything that is challenging my life right now. Well, this should be entertaining. Should be entertaining. I should have brought my popcorn today. Maybe that's what you're thinking and feeling. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, let's see where this goes. This should be cute. Little old Pastor Susie's going to stand up there and give us answers to all the challenges that we're facing today. Let's see where we go today. Now, most of you are probably not as antagonizing as I made you sound right now. But in my mind, I hear this series title and I think to myself, this is a very audacious sermon series title, Dealing with Everything I think now would be an opportune time to stop and pray again, so let's do that. Holy Spirit, activate. But in all seriousness, Holy Spirit, activate our minds, activate our hearts. Help us to engage with you today because you are here amongst us, Lord, and just make us more aware of your presence. Make us attentive to your word today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that is ready and willing to receive and obey. So Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, Pastor Bob kicked us off with a sermon entitled, Everything Promised, and we dealt with 
what to do with uh, disappointments in life. Promises are often broken. We break promises. People break promises to us. And today we're going to carry on with that theme and we're going to talk about everything broken. Everything broken. You don't have to look past your own nose to recognize that there are a lot of broken things in this world. Outside in the world, but inside in us. There's a lot of brokenness. And the holidays can be an especially painful time because... It's a time when we hear words like joy and cheer and merry and happy and glad all over the place. And so when you hear these words all over the place all the time in a season where we're supposed to be merry and glad and joyous, but you don't feel those things and you don't feel like you have those things right now and you're feeling actually pretty broken, that void feels even bigger and your brokenness feels even heavier and more apparent. See, some of you came to church today with all of the willpower that you have left. Getting here was a miracle in and of itself. And when you heard me say today that we are going to start a series called Dealing with Everything, Answers to Life's Questions, you're probably assuming that since we're here in church, that at the end of all of this, I'm going to try to tie a pretty bow on it. And I'm going to say the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the right answer for everything. If you're going through um, something tough, if you're feeling brokenness right now, well then Jesus is the answer to all of your frustrations, your hurts, your doubts and struggles. And and if something's broken in your life, well then turn to Jesus because Jesus will fix it. Jesus is the reason for the season and Jesus is the answer, the right answer to all things broken. And truthfully, as simplistic and really even as predictable as this sounds, if we were in a debate class right now, I think I'd actually have a harder time arguing against what seems like a really simple answer in Jesus. I, I actually would say that the answer is Jesus. I know it sounds really simplistic, but, but the reality is Jesus is God. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is ever-present. And yes, God's ways are higher than our ways. God does things that that we can't comprehend. We, We can't see into the future like God can. God knows he was, always was, is, and always will be. He transcends time. There's something so big about God that I can say, well, the answer to all my problems would be in God because he's all powerful, all knowing, ever present. And, and, and the Bible even says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and serve him. You know, God is a loving God. He's an able God. He's a powerful God. He's a concerned God. And the Bible even tells us that he, he gives beauty for ashes. And he binds up the brokenhearted. In fact, it says that he's near to the brokenhearted. And he invites anyone who is weary and burdened to come to him. He wants us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And then he says, I'm going to be your rock. I'm going to be your refuge. I'm going to hold you with my righteous right hand. You can come to me because I am a strong tower. I am unshakable and I will be with you to the very end of the age. We'll be back to this podcast episode shortly, but we wanted to take this time to give you an opportunity to give. Why do we give? At Midtown, we believe that giving is both an 
act of worship and a command. And the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So when we give, we're simply giving back to God what belongs to God in the first place. For those of you who give regularly, thank you. And if you're new around here, there's no obligation to give. We just encourage you to give however God is leading you. You can give digitally on our website or our app, but let's take a moment to pray right now. God, thank you that you have given us an opportunity to partner with you in the work that you want to do to display your goodness and your love to the world around us. So God, take this offering right now, multiply it and use it for the good of your people and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's get back to our podcast episode. And although God is all these things and does all these things, today I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to preach a sermon called Everything Broken, How Life Gets Better, and just simply say to you, Jesus is the answer. He is the answer, actually. But there's more to it than that. See, even though we know the story of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, I think sometimes we settle for Sunday school answers that we know in our head. We know in our head, but I'm going to challenge you. Do you really know this in your heart? Do you really believe it in your heart? And do your your beliefs and your actions and your expectations match with what you say you know and you believe? See, here's why I think sometimes our expectations don't always line up with what we say we believe. We say that we know that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. And that God is in control, that we need to let go and let God. We say these things, but do we really believe them? Do we really act out in that way? Do we behave in that way? Or do we get frustrated when our expectations of God and how God really works don't match up? When we're faced with a problem a frustration, a sadness, or any kind of brokenness in our lives. There is an expectation that if God is good, then Jesus is going to fix it. We throw up those emergency crisis prayers. We say, help me, Jesus. God, help me just this one time. Just this one time. Well, again, just one more time. We say, Jesus, I'm in a crisis right now. Help me, Jesus, fix the problem. Make the problem go away is actually what we're really asking and what we're expecting of God. We say we trust God, yet we expect God to do things the way that we want him to do things. We expect God to do things when we want him to do it, when we want him to do it and how we want him to do it. And when things don't go our way, we can get even more frustrated and feel even more broken. So we want quick fixes, but instead of instantly fixing the brokenness, what God often does is he meets our brokenness with brokenness. He meets our brokenness with brokenness. See, we're in the season of Advent right now, and Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And in the season of Advent, we remember that Jesus came once and he's coming again. We remember that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But before he came to the earth to dwell with us, we have to remember that God was first broken because of us. You might even say that God's answer to our brokenness was brokenness. That was his answer. God's heart breaks over our sin. God is not a distant, uninvolved, and uncaring God. 
Our God is a personal and passionate God. He, he, he's actually even jealous for us. That's how the Bible describes his, his love for us. He's jealous for us. He's zealous for us. And he cares so deeply about us, his sons, his daughters, his masterpieces, his, his handiwork, that our brokenness breaks his heart. Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever had ever even made them, and then that he put them on the earth, and it broke his heart. Our sin, our brokenness, broke God's heart. He saw the world, and he, he saw that, yet yeah, everything is broken. But God didn't just sit idly by. He didn't sit there just feeling for us and grieving over us from a distance. Instead, you know what God did? He, he moved into a place of empathy over us. He moved into a place of, of feeling and knowing and experiencing brokenness with us. God's response to our brokenness and his brokenness over us was to send his beloved son, Jesus, to, to dwell among us in our brokenness and to meet us there. So God met our brokenness with brokenness. From the place and the circumstances that Jesus was born into, we see that even the Son of God allowed himself to be subject to the pitfalls of broken systems and broken structures run by broken people. He was born into a less than ideal family situation. He was actually born as a refugee. They were on the run. They were, he, he was actually born literally on the margins. He was in the stable of an inn where there was no more room. They were pushed out to the margins. So literally, his birthplace was on the margins. And when he entered into the messiness of our world, he didn't arrive on the scene and magically fix everything. Instead, slowly, he entered into our brokenness and he shared in the pain of the brokenness. So God is not only broken because of us, but God is also broken with us. John eleven thirty five. 35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Does anyone know what it is? Mm. Some of y'all use that in uh, Bible trivia days, right? Um, John eleven thirty five 35 simply says, Jesus wept. Here's why Jesus wept. When Jesus arrived at the house of Lazarus, he was met by some very broken people. His, his sisters, Mary and Martha, met Jesus and they said, Jesus, if you had only gotten here sooner, our brother Lazarus would not have died. Lazarus died and they said, Jesus, if you got here sooner, this wouldn't have happened. And they were broken. They were broken by grief. There were people there that were wailing and mourning with them. Friends and other family members were mourning and, and, and grieving over the death of their brother and friend, and they were brokenhearted. And so was Jesus. Even though he knew that he was about to perform a miracle where he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, before he raised him from the dead, what Jesus did was he took the time to weep with them. He became proximate to their pain. He, he experienced the pain of brokenness with them. Jesus, yes, fully God, first allowed himself to be fully human and fully present to their pain. Instead of rushing in to fix things, he took the time to experience the brokenness of grief alongside of the people. He responded to brokenness with brokenness. 
See, Jesus was demonstrating the power of empathy. There's, there's something really powerful about just knowing that somebody is feeling something, experiencing something alongside of you, together with you, that somebody understands you on a deeper level because they can relate. There's a story about a little boy who, um, whose next door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had just lost his wife of 50 years. Now, this little boy saw this man crying on the front porch, and so he went over and he sat on his lap. And his mom allowed him to spend some time with the man, and after some time, the boy came back home, and she said to him, well, what did you say to him? And the boy said, oh, I didn't say anything. I just helped him cry. I just helped him cry. This little boy was wise beyond his years. He knew the power of empathy. Several years back, there was something called the the Genworth R70i age suit. This was developed to help loved ones better understand how to best care for their elderly parents. When you put the suit on, you immediately feel 40 years older. You experience impaired vision. You, you, You experience hearing loss and reduced mobility. See, this age suit was tapping into the power of empathy, the power to understand, and the power to share feelings with another. And what empathy does is it enhances your ability to love people well. Before he went to Lazarus, before he went to raise him from the dead, Jesus demonstrated the importance of empathy. Like the little boy who sat with the man and helped him cry, what Jesus did was he helped his friends cry. He put on the garment of grief to share in the loss that they were feeling. And when you have someone experiencing someone, something with you, you do feel less alone. And that thing, that weight, that grief, the fear, the anxiety, the doubt, the insecurities that you might be feeling can become less overwhelming because you know that you're taking it on with somebody else. You're not alone in it. There's something really powerful about togetherness, especially when it's times of brokenness and grief. In fact, I wonder if that isn't both the balm and the blessing of brokenness. When something is broken, something has been torn apart, broken apart, not together anymore. So perhaps there's power in coming together, the coming together of God's people because there has been a break, there has been a loss, there is a void. And when the people of God come together, we help fill that void. We're coming together because something is broken. And togetherness can remedy the brokenness of loss. So we know that brokenness and pain is an inevitable part of life. But you know, for me as a parent, I don't want my kids to have to go through a lot of pain and brokenness. In fact, many of us go to great lengths to make sure our kids don't experience a lot of pain and brokenness, right? I mean, they try roller skating for the first time, they're padded up and they're helmeted up with all those things, right? We don't want them to experience that kind of pain and brokenness. But we also have to recognize as parents that brokenness can also be a blessing. In fact, I would say that brokenness is necessary for a blessing. Brokenness is necessary for our growth, and God uses brokenness to grow us and to bless us. And if you want me to give a little bit more explanation around that, I know, we don't like things feeling broken. I don't want my kids to break my stuff. But if my children don't ever experience brokenness, they won't know their need for Jesus. 
If my kids don't know what it is to feel broken, they won't cry out for Jesus. And that's a, that's a net loss for everyone. Without experiencing brokenness, they won't experience the amazing, saving, healing grace of God, the power of God's presence when we need him most. And so sometimes there is a blessing in the breaking. My daughters are learning how to play Amazing Grace. They're they're learning how to play it on the piano right now. And my younger daughter, Lucia, she said, oh, I can't wait. I've been waiting to learn how to play this song, Amazing Grace. It's my favorite song. And I thought to myself, wow, at such a young age, this this little girl has really captured the heart of God. Wow, she's so deep. You know, I thought, wow, she really, does she understand these words? And so I asked her, why do you love this song so much? And she she said this, she said, well, it's a song about me. And I thought to herself, she must not know the words. Maybe she just likes the melody because, I mean, the second line says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's not really talking about how amazing we are. It's talking about the amazing love and grace of God, right? So I asked her to explain that more. I said, why does this song say that you're amazing? And she said, well, I don't know if you forgot, mommy, but my middle name is Grace. Amazing Grace. Now, it's cute because she's eight years old, but even though she's only eight years old, I had to set her straight. (laughs) I mean, not that she's not amazing. She's an amazing little girl, but this ain't what the song is about. (laughs) It's, of course, about the amazing love and grace of God, right? The undeserved mercy and favor of God on our lives is what this song is about. This song was actually written by a man who had to first experience some deep brokenness, brokenness over his own sin in order to experience the amazing grace of God. This song was written by a former slave trader and a slave ship captain named John Newton. And it said that it was during a a violent storm on one of these ships when, when John Newton found himself crying out to God, sending up one of those emergency prayers, just help me, God. He was praying for mercy that he might be saved. And he did survive. But then after surviving that, he graciously was allowed to go on this journey with God. He began walking in the amazing grace of God, the amazing grace that saved a wretched man like him. He acknowledged and he remembered that he was once lost and blind, but now he was found and was able to see. And although it didn't happen overnight, John Newton actually became a minister of the gospel and he became an abolitionist. So though he had a past participating in the enslavement of other people, he came to realize that he had lived his whole life enslaved and broken. And it wasn't until God in his grace met him that he recognized how amazing that grace was. Now you and I might say that we were never as wretched and sinful as this man John Newton. We might say, I've never participated in something as wretched and sinful as him, in the dehumanization of other image bearers of God. And you may even say that your sin is not grievous or harmful to other people. But I think when we say that we fail to uphold and understand the holiness of God, when we view our own sin in that regard, we don't actually know just how holy God is. None of us are righteous enough to stand in the presence of this holy, pure, and blameless God, not on our own accord. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 reminds us, for it is by grace 
that you and I have been saved through faith. And this not from ourselves, not because of our good deeds or any of our own effort or all the good things that we've done. No, it's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. And I think for most people, it doesn't take too much convincing to be reminded that we are not perfect people. In fact, many of us, I think, are actually too hard on ourselves. But there are other times when we get too comfortable with our own sense of righteousness. We get self-righteous. And we need to be reminded that none of us are righteous on our own. And that there is a blessing in being broken, of being broken over our sin, being broken in our circumstances because it helps us to see our need for God and it helps, helps us to gain a deeper understanding of how good and precious God is. See, there's a blessing in being broken. The gift of God, which is Jesus, was a gift to us because of our brokenness. But it's not just his presence that the, that the blessing is in. The gift to us was Christ's body that was broken for us. The final and perhaps most obvious way that Jesus met our brokenness with brokenness is when he laid down his life for our sakes and he became broken for us so that we would be reconciled or brought back together with God in relationship. So the night before Jesus would be led to the cross and be broken for our sake, Jesus led the disciples through something that we now call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it. He gave it to the disciples and then he said, take, eat, this is my body. This was his body broken for them. See, the disciples didn't yet understand the meaning of this because they didn't expect that Jesus, the one who they thought was coming to fix it, to fix the political, economic, and social ills of the day, they thought that, that he was going to come and fix the problems of the world in that moment. They didn't know that he was actually going to be broken on the cross for them first. They didn't know that this was going to happen, so they didn't understand the gravity, the depth, the richness of that moment. But it was a moment that they would look back on and remember, and they'd remember the significance of it. I wonder even if in that moment, they remembered something that Jesus had done in the past. Moments where Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them to be distributed. I wonder if this moment reminded them of when Jesus fed the 5,000. When Jesus fed the 5,000, this was a, a very significant miracle. In fact, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all of the gospel accounts. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And aside from the resurrection, this is the only miracle that's accounted for all four times. And I wonder if it was accounted for every time because the significance of it should not be lost on us. The wording of these two moments is very similar in case you missed it. This, this wording is similar and it seems to be on purpose. It wants us to be aware of something. Matthew 14, 19, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, 5, when, when Jesus was pre preparing to miraculously feed 5,000 plus people with just five loaves and two fish, it says this, he then commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, what did he, he do? He blessed it, he broke it and he gave it. He gave the loaves to the disciples and then the disciples distributed it. 
They gave it to the multitudes. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Jesus is the bread of life. He was blessed, broken, and given for us. And on the night of the Last Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do it often and remember me. And even today, when we take communion, we do it about once a month here together, we remember Jesus, but we are also reminded that there is a call on our lives as followers of Jesus to participate in the blessing, in the broken, and the giving nature of following Christ. Okay, let me remind you that before, the, before Jesus multiplied the, the bread and the fish, before he provided this miraculous meal for thousands of people, you know what the disciples did? The disciples brought the need to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, send these people away. They need to go and find something to eat. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, you do it. You give them something to eat. They, in and of themselves, recognized that they were not capable, they were not able to produce something as miraculous as Jesus did. So so, so they said, well, Jesus, we don't know what to do. And he said, well, give me what you have. Give me what you have. What do you have available to you right now? And so this little boy who had two fish and five loaves, something that seemed really small and insignificant, they brought it before God, and God multiplied it for the multitudes. He did what we couldn't do, but he wants us to participate. I hope that's not lost on us. He said, you do it. You give them something to eat. And when they could do it, when he multiplied it, he still had them do something on mission with him. He gave them a commission. He said, take the bread and distribute it to the people. They still had to put their faith in action. And, and when he gave the last supper, when he blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples, he was reminding them, even now, after this moment, I have a commission for you now as well. Take up your cross and follow me. Do as I do right now, just as you're going to remember that I was blessed, broken, and given, so too will you. You will also be blessed, broken, and given. And we often say that when we're going through it, some pain, some struggle, some brokenness, we we say, oh, I must be going through it right now because I'm about to see a blessing in my life. And that's not untrue. We can see it that way. But remember, sometimes the, the blessing is the brokenness. Remember, the blessing came first. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Sometimes there is a blessing in the breaking. Sometimes the breaking is the blessing. And you can't have a breakthrough without the breaking, right? If you want to see something burst forth, sometimes you need to go through the breaking for something to be pushed through and birthed, right? We can't see the blessing unless we go through the breaking sometimes. Now, like many things in the Christian life, brokenness is a strange paradox. It's a paradox because through, through brokenness, we experience great healing. Though brokenness is, is, is painful and we don't like brokenness, many times the breaking can be the blessing. We can't see the amazing grace of God show up in our lives and the incredible gift that salvation is until everything else gets broken down. You could say that the more broken that we are, the more we make room for God's amazing grace to be put on display in our lives. Our lives are a living testament to the work of God in and through us. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our liberator 
who has broken us from the chains of sin. He, he's broken the chains that are meant to hold you back and, and meant to hold you back from living the life that he wants to liberate you to live out. He wants to keep you, the enemy wants to keep you enslaved to sin, but Jesus came as our liberator to break us free from the things that have held us back. Jesus was broken because of us. He became broken and met us in our brokenness with us, and he became broken for us. And because of that, he has broken off generational curses. He has broken off cycles of destruction and generational trauma in your life. He has broken off labels and trauma and things that other people will put on you to define you. And instead, he's giving you a new name, a new identity, and he wants you to live in the freedom that can come only through the breaking sometimes. He has broken down every wall of sin that has separated you and I from relationship with God. And he invites you to enter into what the book of Hebrews calls the throne room of grace. The throne of grace. Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16 says this, therefore, since we have such a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Because, because we have a high priest who is not unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There are many paradoxes in this Christian life. And when it comes to our brokenness, I say that the paradox is that the more whole we become in Christ, the more we realize just how broken we are. The more whole we become in Christ, the more we realize just how broken we are. But here's the good news. As our brokenness becomes more apparent, the more amazing the grace of God becomes as well. There is an amazing grace that covers my life, that walks me through the hardest of times and brings forth goodness, not, not only despite my brokenness, but because of my brokenness. This amazing grace is there, not just despite my brokenness and my shortcomings, but it's there because of my shortcomings and my brokenness. And there's a testimony that emerges from showing off the amazing grace that holds me together. What if we embraced the idea that our purpose as believers, as followers of Jesus, is not to be perfect, but to come alongside other broken and imperfect people and point them to the king that was broken for us? What if we took that pressure off of ourselves to be perfect? Because none of us is righteous. None of us is morally righteous before God on our own. But what if in our brokenness, we can bring other brothers and sisters alongside of us and say, I know you're broken, I'm broken too, but let me take you to the king that can put you back together. Let me take you to the king who is with us in our brokenness, became broken for us, and can put us back together. What if we embraced our brokenness, not, not to wallow in it, but to embrace it as an opportunity for something more amazing to emerge, a testimony to emerge, for that breakthrough to happen, to show off the beauty and the power of the redemptive grace of God in our lives. I have... One last thought, and um, 
I wish I had read the book before I wrote this sermon, but, but Glenn, Glenn Packiam, he's a, a pastor who is now out in Orange County, um, he wrote a book called Blessed, Broken, and Given. And there's also a C.C. Winan song called Blessed, Broken, and Given. Um, but, but though I haven't read this book yet called Blessed, Broken, and Given, I, I read a synopsis of it in preparation for this message. And, and, and I, I read some short quotes that were pulled from the book. And there was this one sentence, this one quote that said this. He says, grace is the gold that holds the broken pieces together. Grace is the gold that holds the broken pieces together. And again, I haven't read the book, but I can almost bet money that this quote is pulled from a section where he's describing something called kintsugi. Kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form. And when translated into English, it means golden joinery. Golden joinery. Now, kintsugi is a Japanese art form where, where pottery is made out of broken pieces. It's the art of repairing broken pottery with lacquer, dusted, or mixed with powdered gold or silver or platinum. And as a philosophy, what it does is it it treats breakage and repair as a part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. Isn't it beautiful? It takes something broken and brings it together and turns out to be something really beautiful. Now, we have a tendency in Western culture to throw away broken things. And when things get broken, we label them as as useless or bad. And what Kitsugi embraces is, is, is that brokenness is a part of our stories and says that our lives are even more beautiful because of the brokenness. See, breakage and repair, brokenness, is part of the history of our lives. And that brokenness can put on display the beautiful grace and the mercy of God throughout your life. When your brokenness is met by the grace of God, kintsugi happens, golden joinery. Grace is the gold that holds our broken pieces together. And your broken pieces, when they're brought back together, tell a story of how you met God in the throne room of grace. Have you met God in the throne room of grace in your brokenness? Some of us are still in that place where we're in our brokenness and we don't know where to take it. But there is an invitation to take it to the throne room of grace. God will meet you in your broken places and there is no space that God can't fill. I know I said I wasn't going to say that. I'm going to say at the end of this that Jesus is the answer, but he really is. It's the presence of Jesus that will meet you in your brokenness. It's knowing that he came and he was broken for you, wanted to be broken with you, sit with you in the brokenness and was broken for you so that you could be put back together by the golden thread of his grace his grace is abundant and he's waiting for you just to come to the throne room of grace and receive it in your places of brokenness I'm about to close us in prayer but I can't close without making sure that you know that there's an invitation come to the throne room of grace if you have never received Jesus into your heart and if you've never made that commitment to follow after Jesus who was broken for you well then I don't want you to leave here without making that decision and 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 if you're a person who's sitting in a place of brokenness right now and you'd really you'd really just like a brother or sister to sit with you in that brokenness and pray with you and take you to the throne room of grace together well then there's going to be a team of people who will pray with you there's a prayer team right here 
will meet with you, we'll pray with you, and we'll make sure you know that you are not alone in your brokenness. But can we together right now just come together in prayer and thank God. Thank God for being the one who brings everything back together for the good of those who love and serve him. God, it's a big thing to say, and it requires a lot of faith and trust that you, God, are big enough, caring enough, and in the details enough to meet me in my brokenness. But God, that's our prayer right now. All the places right now where I'm not complete, where I'm not whole, where I have not invited you to come and be king, to be Lord, to be Jehovah Jireh, to be Jehovah Rapha, to be the healer, to be the one who sees me, to be the one who meets me in my brokenness. God, we want to open up ourselves to you, Lord, and say, have your way. Even when we leave this place, Lord, your throne room of grace is open to us 24-7. And God, we want to commune with you always. God, it's a world of a lot of brokenness. But we thank you, Lord, that your grace will cover us and join us back to you to be more whole. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. so much for tuning into Midtown Church. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for weekly messages to stay rooted in the word and for a dose of hope, health, and healing in your life. Want to get more connected to Midtown Church? Just visit us online at midtownchurch.org.